Well, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 9. Uh, and um, what, we've, what we started doing last week, we said we're going to do it for 10 weeks straight, so we're going to continue it this week, is we just got done with a sermon series talking about how it is that Jesus builds his church. And part of how Jesus builds the church we saw in Ephesians 4 is when we grow together in our unity of the faith. That is, a whole bunch of different people coming from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, all sorts of things, and we come together. And the thing that holds us together is not which team we want to win the game today, not anything other than this. What holds us together is what we believe, the the the. the Faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so in our church, we have 10 things that we say these are at the core, and we hold on to these things and say, this is what we will unite around. We will unite around these things. And so we're going to go through them one by one over the next 10 weeks. Today, uh, we're just going to, if you believe this, go ahead and read it first. I don't want you to be reciting something mindlessly that you don't actually believe. But if you believe this to be true about the Bible, then we're going to just confess the unity of the faith that we have together as we believe this. So if you're able to, and if you do believe this, go ahead and let's, let's read this together. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. So we do believe that. That's why the preaching on Sunday morning is expository preaching, where I don't have some ideas that I use Scripture to support. We look at Scripture and say, what's the idea here? And that's what we will, I want to communicate. I don't do it perfectly and with the Holy Spirit's help. Hopefully I do it well enough that, that God works in our hearts to be one to gladly receive and submit to the Word of God that is our ultimate authority in every realm of life. And so we started in February of 2023. So almost exactly a year ago, we started walking through the gospel according to Luke verse by verse. Uh, and so here's what we said at the beginning of that journey. We said the gospel according to Luke is a true and trustworthy story about Jesus written so that all kinds of people would have certainty about who he is and what he accomplished. So the book sets the stage in chapter 1. That's how we started last February. The stage being set for the introduction of Jesus. He is born in the beginning of chapter 2, and then we see this preparation for his earthly ministry in chapter 3. And so the, the second kind of major section of the book started in 414, and it goes through chapter 9, verse 50. In that section of the book, Luke organizes things kind of geographically. So Jesus' ministry in this section of the book is primarily taking place in Galilee. 
that's the region that he was growing up in. So it's the region around Nazareth where Jesus grew up, Galilee, and Jesus is ministering there first. And that's what we're going to continue in. When we left off, here's what's happened. Jesus has ministered in many ways, doing a lot of teaching and proclaiming with his lips and a lot of healing with his words and with his hands casting out demons, he has shown again and again his authority over things like nature and disease and demons and death. We are convinced at this point that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who does have authority over all of these other things, and his kingdom has come and is coming. He has called 12 men to be his disciples who have been following him, and up to this point have been just doing a lot of observation and learning a whole lot. And they've seen him display his authority over nature, disease, demons, and death, and that's where we ended up. At the end of chapter 8, a week or two before Thanksgiving is where we were last left off with this. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. So that's the last thing that we saw, and from now until Easter, we're going to cover... Luke chapter 9, and we're going to, just the way in God's providence it's all working out, the major turning point in the gospel according to Luke is in Luke 9.51, and we're going to get there. It says in 9.51 that Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem, and Lord willing, the way it should work out is we'll get there right before Easter. So, um, looking forward to spending some time in this very dense, rich chapter over the next month and a half or so. If you're able to, would you stand? I'm going to pray and we'll read the very Word of God from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Father, I, I do pray that you would help me to clearly communicate what it is that you are saying. Give us minds that understand it. Give us hearts that desire to know you and help us to be obedient to whatever you call us to in this. So, so God, open our minds, our hearts, and, and everything in us to, to be conformed and informed by your word as your spirit works in and through us now. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word then in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9 says this, And he called the twelve together. And gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. You can be seated. So 
So in your bulletin, uh, as usual, there is a sermon notes page, a life group guide. Our life groups kind of follow along with the message and seek to more deeply understand and then apply what we see there. And you'll see in the outline, point number one is this, empowered and sent by Jesus to say and to do. We're going to see three verbs in the opening verses here. I want to take note of what they are. What is it that Jesus is doing? It starts out with Jesus being the main subject. It says, and he, and that's referring to Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out. Okay, you see the three verbs there, the three things that Jesus is doing. He's calling, he's giving, and he's sending. These 12 disciples, he has called to himself previously, but now in a more practical sense, he's calling them to come around him because he has something that he's going to give them. Again, it's already been clear in what we've seen that Jesus certainly has power and authority. They've seen that on display again and again right in front of their faces. But what's unique about chapter 9 is there's this transition where the power and authority that Jesus clearly has is in many ways given also, shared with, the disciples. So we're going to see them become much more active participants here in chapter 9. Okay? So, uh, we can expect that in the weeks to come as we continue walking through this. But Jesus calls them together and he gives them power and authority, specifically over demons and diseases. And then he sends them out. In a sense, the 12 disciples become 12 apostles. Apostle just means sent out ones. Apostle is actually a transliteration. The word here when it says he sends them out is apostelos. Okay? So he, 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 he apostles them. He, he sends them out to do the work that he is calling them to do, and the work he's given them authority to do. So that's what we see in the beginning of this passage, verses 1 and the beginning of 2. Jesus calling, Jesus giving, and Jesus sending the disciples. And then we see he's sending and empowering them to do something. In fact, two things, two somethings, to say something and to do something. Notice first, it says in verse 2, He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. First, let's talk about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming just means heralding. Okay, so 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 making an announcement. Okay? They're out to to say something with their words to make an announcement. We don't use the word heralding very much anymore. I did, I do remember, and I looked it up this morning to confirm that like the Omaha newspaper is called the Omaha World Herald, right? It's it's news that needs to be shared, and so words are required in order for that to be shared, right? The Omaha News Herald. So so here they are to go out and to do something, and that is proclaim, to herald the kingdom of God. We can spend a lot of time exploring together what the kingdom of God is. What is it that they're proclaiming? Essentially, it's it's just this: it's the reality of God's rule. They are going out to proclaim the good news that God rules. Because everybody lives in a world a good creation that has been marred by sin and disease and death. But in the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming. So we expect when Jesus shows up and when Jesus reigns, that there is going to be 
disease, death, and demons defeated. This happens in part in Jesus' first coming, and miracles that Jesus does shows kind of like a preview of this coming reality, that upon his second coming, there will be no more diseases, demons, and death, right? And so we get a preview of that here, and Jesus is now sending his disciples out to proclaim that the kingdom of God is coming. And oftentimes when we see a proclamation of the kingdom of God in the Gospels, the message that's being shared, we're not told in this passage the message that's being shared, but in other passages we see that the message is often repent. You're thinking and living one way, and the kingdom of God is coming. And so repent. Think a different way and live a different way. Way The gospel is going to become much more clear as time goes on, but this is a message they are called now to proclaim or to herald. And they're also called to do something. You see that there at the end of verse 2. To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Just like Jesus has gone out and healed, the disciples are called out to, to go out and heal. This is going to draw attention to the message about Jesus, and it's going to confirm the message about Jesus. So, the message is God's rule and reign comes in the person of Jesus, and they're going to draw attention to that message and confirm that message by doing this work of healing that Jesus has just empowered them to do. All right, what do we have next? Verses 3 through 5, we've got some commands about how they're going to do it. Jesus doesn't just tell them, go out and do this. He tells them how to go out and do it, a specific manner in which they are to go out and do it. Verse 3, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. The basic message of verse 3, the instruction that Jesus is giving them is travel lightly. You are not to go out and be encumbered by, by, and you know this, how many, like if you own a house and you own stuff, the more stuff we have, the more work we have to do to maintain all of the stuff that we have. And Jesus wants their focus to be on proclaiming the kingdom of God and to doing the work that is going to confirm that. And so he sends them out and tells them, travel lightly. Uh, Some of you have heard stories of my uh, pastor's backpacking trip. I went in 2021 on on a backpacking trip in the Rocky Mountains with a group of pastors and two llamas, okay? We went on this trip. The llamas carried some of our load, but most of our load, the things that we needed personally, were carried in a pack. And I know that uh, everywhere we go, I'm going to have to carry this pack. I'm going to pack lightly. And I thought I packed lightly. And when we arrived at the base camp and the leader of our trip said, take everything out of your bag, he then began to go through all these things that I thought were essential and say, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that, we can leave that here. I'm thinking, well, I don't have anything left. But his goal was to help us to focus on the mission at hand, getting through this hike, and we needed to travel lightly in order to do that. That's really Jesus' instruction here to the disciples. I'm sending you out, and here's what I want you to focus on. And so don't be encumbered by all of these things. Travel lightly. Verse 4, then, another instruction from Jesus. And this one is going to take a little more work to understand, because it doesn't maybe totally make sense to us. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. 
Like, well, that seems like, well, yeah, that's about the only way you could do it, right? If I go to a house, I'm going to stay there, and then that's the house I'm going to depart from. Jesus, though, in my study, I found out he's kind of contrasting what they are to do with what traveling philosophers would do in that day. It's kind of a form of entertainment and education mixed together that there would be people who would travel from village to village and they would be philosophers and they would kind of entertain and and inform people of different things. But their common practice was to go from house to house trying to gain as much of an income as they possibly could. And if they went to one house and they only offered them a little bit, they might go to another house to try to attain more. And so Jesus is just saying, don't be like that. I've also told stories before. This seems to come up a lot. I've told this story probably three different times in sermons over the years. Uh, But when I was a college student, uh, one of our activities to try to help us get to know other college students, they broke us up into groups, went to Northwestern College in Orange City, so small town like this, and they gave each of the groups a penny, and they said to us, I want you to go to a house, knock on the door, and say, do you have something bigger and better than a penny that you'd trade me for? And so we did that. So, and then we'd take the thing that they traded us for, and then we'd go to the next house. Do you have something bigger and better that you could give me than this, right? So we're going from house to house, literally trying to find something bigger and better. We ended up, just this really doesn't have anything to do with the story except for it's cool. We ended up at a guy's house, uh, and he said, do you think this will win for you? Because we were like competing against each other. And he says, meet me at the garage. And he goes through the house to the garage. The garage door opens, and there's a Corvette inside. And he says, who's driving? Uh, and so one of the guys in our group got in the Corvette and we drove back to campus in the Corvette and we said we won. Uh, he did want the Corvette back, like we didn't get to keep it, right? But that idea of like going from house to house, trying to find something bigger and better, Jesus says that's not what you're to do. You're not in this for personal gain. Right? You're not going to do this work I'm calling you. Don't you think they could have had some personal gain that would come through this? You're proclaiming a message and you're healing people, but they're not in it for personal gain. So Jesus says, go to one house, stay there, and then from that house, depart. And then another instruction in verse 5. The instruction in verse 5 is essentially leave the ball in their court. Jesus is letting them know you will not be received everywhere. Let's read it again in verse 5. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This was a common practice I read about in, in, in Jewish people upon leaving a land that they saw to be unclean. They would kind of like shake the dust off of their feet in a sense almost as a word of judgment against those people who were rebelling against the one true God. And Jesus here tells them, you're not going to be received well everywhere, but you are to leave the ball in their court. You are responsible to proclaim the message and do the work, but even if you're not received, then you just go ahead and move on. Shake the dust off your feet as a a word of judgment against them. Should you continue to reject this Lord, um, then there is going to be judgment. We're going to keep moving and proclaiming this message. So that's the instruction in verse 5. Verse 6, we wonder, okay, do they do it? So now, here's, here's what you're to do. Here's how you're to do it. In verse 6, we find out they did it. They did it. Look at verse 6 again. Verse 6 says, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, so this is expansive. We're not told how long this takes. We're not told how far they go. 
but they travel and they're doing the work that Jesus called them to do. Here, instead of saying proclaiming the kingdom, it says preaching the gospel. Okay? In Greek, that's all one word, euangelizomai, which we could say evangelizing or gospeling. Right? We are an evangelical church. Right? So an evangelical church is a church that is concerned about knowing and proclaiming the good news. And the disciples, become apostles now, are sent out to preach the gospel. We're going to understand what the gospel is more. They're going to understand what the gospel is more clearly in the days and years ahead as Jesus eventually is going to be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. That's at the heart of the gospel. So they're going out to do what it is that God called them to do, and they're doing healing. Again, the miracles are confirming the message that they're sharing. And there are results. The results of this work that the disciples are empowered and sent out to do, the result is uh, they're, they're, they're causing a stir, even to the point that Herod, the Tetrarch, uh, that is the ruler over a couple of regions, Galilee and Perea, he is getting word of what's going on in his region. Okay, So that's what we see in verse 7. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch, by the way, he, he ruled from 4 B.C. to A.D. 39. Okay, So that's the, 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 the time of his rule. He's ruling during the time that this is happening. And we're told, it says here in verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed, okay? So he's hearing the news. He, 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 as a ruler, wants to know what's going on in the region that he's governing. And so he hears the news that, that's causing quite a stir as these disciples, empowered by Jesus, are going to do the same kind of work that this man Jesus has been doing. And word comes to Herod. And it says that he is perplexed. Why is he perplexed? Let's keep reading. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So there's events taking place, and there's a whole bunch of different interpretations of those events. It's like the internet was already invented, right? So, so, so there's things taking place, and there's all sorts of different stories coming in as to who's doing this and what exactly is going on. And, and the people are putting together what they know, okay? and we could spend a lot of de time going into detail about what they knew about Elijah and what his ministry looked like and what prophecies about another Elijah coming were like. We could look again back at John the Baptist and his ministry. We could look at other prophets. That's all the different kind of theories that Herod is hearing. When he's just trying to figure out what's going on here, he's hearing all these different theories, all this speculation about what exactly is going on. And it, the result is he's perplexed, it says. He's puzzled. He wants to know something, but he can't figure it out because there's so many different versions of the story coming at him. And so he says in verse 9, John I beheaded. Okay, so it can't be John. And, and by the way, this is kind of like a bomb dropped here because John the Baptist was like the main character, it seemed, in chapter 1. 
And then in chapter 3, we see John the Baptist doing his ministry as the forerunner of Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. And the last time we heard about John, he had been speaking to this very Herod and telling this very Herod, what you're doing is wrong and evil. And if you tell a powerful guy, if you're kind of an eccentric guy in that time, and you're telling a powerful guy, a guy who's a ruler who has some authority, that what he's doing is wrong and evil and he's going to be judged for it and he should repent, and he doesn't like that message, he does what we might expect him to do. He locks John up in prison. So, so chapter 3, 19 and 20, that's the last time we heard of John. And all of a sudden we hear here him saying, John, I beheaded. Luke doesn't tell us that story. We can read about that story in Matthew chapter 14 if you want to, to read that story. But that's what's happened. Okay, so, so John, I beheaded. It can't be John. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And then I want you to note this phrase at the end of verse 9. It says, and he sought to see him. Herod's heard of what's going on all around Galilee. It's causing quite a stir, and there's all kinds of different perspectives, and he's perplexed, and he's not okay with just being perplexed. He wants to know for sure what's going on, and so it says, he sought to see him. Who is this Jesus? That's what Herod wants to know, and that will become a major theme here in the rest of chapter 9. So we're going to explore that over the weeks ahead. Who is this? That's what Herod wants to know. That's what we want to know. That's what everybody needs to know. In this passage, I want to take some time to apply this to us, though, because here's what that's what happened. Okay, so that's just in trying to get us to understand what's happening there. In this passage, we saw a couple of things. We saw disciples empowered and sent out by Jesus to say and to do. And the result was people like Herod were seeking some knowledge of who Jesus was. So application for us today is going to be say, do, and seek. Okay? So number one, say. Say. In 9-2 we saw the disciples were sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and in verse 6, to preach the gospel. They could do all kinds of good things, but at the heart of their ministry was words. Sharing with words the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. We now have news 24-7. We can always find out what's happening in the world just like that. But even in my own lifetime, there was a time where that didn't seem all that possible. Do you remember this on screens? Go ahead and go to the next slide. You remember seeing that? Like if you happen to wake up in the middle of the night, just like I'm going to turn on the TV, and it, that's all you got. You got bars and, and, and maybe some white noise or maybe nothing. Right? Because there was a time where if something would have happened during that time, there were no words, and so you didn't know that something happened. If there's not words, we can't know that something is happening. There is news to be shared. The gospel at its core is good news. It's good news that needs to be shared, and it needs to be shared with words. If there are no words, we're not going to be able to hear the gospel. In your life groups, you'll talk more about this this week, looking at some other passages. But I just want to look at two really quick here. Romans chapter 10 gives us this chain, saying that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God for that good news, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he says this, 
how then will they hear, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So if the end of the line is somebody calling on the name of the Lord in order to be saved, what has to happen before them calling on the Lord is they have to believe the message they've heard about him. The only way they can believe the message they've heard about him is they have to hear the message about him. And the only way they can hear the message about him is somebody has to preach it, right? So, so it begins with words being proclaimed that people can hear and then believe and then call the name of the Lord and be saved. What is the message of the gospel? Again, they're going out prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. The, the way I think the best summary of the gospel in a, in a bite-sized bit in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. And there, Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. It was a message that Paul had heard and believed and received. He called on the name of the Lord. He was saved. And now this is the message that he is preaching in words. And what is the message? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the good news that needs to be proclaimed, right? We need to be saying something as a church. There's lots of good things we can do. There's lots of good things we should do. There's many things we should say, but at the heart of our ministry as a church is saying, proclaiming, preaching the good news that Christ died for our sins. We need to include in the good news the reality that we are sinners separated from a holy God by our sin, but what Christ came to do was not primarily to heal people and to teach people to be nice to each other, but he came to die in our place for our sins, and that he really died, his body was really buried, and that just like the scriptures say, he was raised on the third day victory over sin and death, that we can be justified, declared righteous through faith in Jesus. This is the good news that we must proclaim with words. So church, let's say this. Let's say this. This is the best news in the world, and people need to hear it from people who love them. Not all will receive it, just like Jesus told his disciples to expect. We're not responsible, though, for everybody's response. We're just responsible to be the ones who do what he tells us to do and proclaim the gospel. Number two, do. We are to say and we are to do. Now remember, in this passage, Jesus is empowering the disciples to do these things that draw attention to him and confirm the message. They're kind of a preview of the kingdom. And what they are doing is they are empowered and sent out to heal and to cast out demons. But remember, so, so, so like, is that what we do? Is that like primarily, is that at the heart of our ministry as a church that we are called to, to heal people and to cast out demons? Is that what Jesus has called us to do as a church? I, I think it's helpful to recognize that, that a couple of years down the road, I think the greatest sign that points to the reality of God's kingdom, that gets to the heart of the gospel message, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that Jesus, even in his frustration with people who kind of endlessly demanded signs, they wanted more signs. Jesus did miracles, his disciples are doing miracles, and they just want more. 
right? But the signs that Jesus is giving are pointing to something else. And Jesus tells them at one point, I'm not going to give you any other sign except for the sign of Jonah. And he likens his own, like remember Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days? Jesus, Jesus likens the, 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 the thing that happened to Jonah as he is spit out of the fish after three days to his own ministry in which he will be buried and then be raised from the dead on the third day. This is the greatest sign. And so we do see uh, sometimes in the book of Acts, there are still some healings that are, are taking place through the apostles at that time. And so God certainly does in our day heal and we pray for healing. God does cast out demons and we pray for that. But that doesn't seem to be at the heart of the gifts that God gives his people to draw attention to him and to confirm the message of the gospel in our day. Instead, we hear things like 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. So you can turn there. It's going to be on the screen as well. But in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, here's what we read. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are called as a church to do things that draw attention to Jesus and confirm the message of the gospel that we're proclaiming with our lips. What kinds of things? Well, well, here's the deal. We live in a world where what many people's perception of an evangelical is, is that we are the narrow-minded right-wing bigots who all vote for the same person. Right? That's what an evangelical is in most of people's uh, minds. But what if they see us, people from the evangelical free church, being people who really do a great job of loving our neighbors? That's what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if we just did that really, really well? Do you think that would draw attention to Jesus? I think it would. So church, let's draw attention to Jesus by loving our neighbors. Just trying to make this simple. We talked about last week as we went through Ephesians four fifteen to 16, that we live in a world who either speaks the truth bluntly and harshly without any love or just tries to love people without ever speaking the truth. But we rather should speak the truth in love. Most people in the world aren't doing that. Let's draw attention to Jesus by obeying the command to speak the truth in love. That would draw attention to Jesus, and we ought to do it. We live in a world where everyone kind of just finds their tribe, people who think and live like them, and they avoid everybody else. But Jesus says to his disciples, who if you think about the background of the disciples, they came from wildly different backgrounds. They're not people who would normally hang out with each other. But Jesus tells them in John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
one of the things that I, Pastor Nick has shared with me that I just really love about the middle school youth group who's away right now, uh, on their way back probably right now, uh, from, from this retreat, is the way that, man, you think about the difference between like a sixth grader and an eighth grader. It's only a couple of years, but it's a huge difference, not just in height, but in other things, right? Uh, and, and they're so different. We've got boys and girls hang out with totally different people at school, so different. But there is, there is a, a unity, uh, not uh, far from perfect, right? They're middle schoolers, they're working on it. But by God's grace, there is, there is this love for one another that, that I think you, you other kids who are in school, high school students, elementary school students, middle school students that are here, this should be kind of like the way that we live that make people around us kind of say, huh. Why are those two talking to each other? Why, why are those two, like, how, how is it that they just kind of have this bond that I think a lot of people in our world don't have and lack and long for? In the church, whether we're kids or adults, we should love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Maybe one final thing. We have hearts that are drawn to greed and coveting and selfish spending, right? That, that's true, and the world knows it. That's why however many millions of dollars are going to be spent today on, on advertisements during the Super Bowl because they know that we have hearts that are greedy and coveting. and all, it, like, so, so it's going to work, right? They think it's worth spending millions of dollars to, to have 30 seconds to convince you that you need something that you currently don't have. This is the way many around us live, just trying to get things that we don't have. But what if, what if we just live differently? What if we kind of hear Jesus' command to the disciples here, you know, uh, travel lightly. Don't be so encumbered by things. What if we all took that to heart and we started instead just kind of generously giving away more things for the sake of gospel ministry? giving away some to to missionaries, giving more to the church, drawing attention to Jesus by doing those kinds of things. And then finally, number three, seeking. Just like we saw in this passage, as, as the disciples do what they're called to do, what they're sent out and empowered to do, let's be people who live in that way in order that other people just decide, I just, I need to know that Jesus. I'm a little confused because here's the perception I've heard about Christians. Here's the, the, here's the things I've seen, but, but I want to, I want to know that Jesus. I've heard lots of different messages, just like Herod had heard lots of different messages. We want people though, let's pray that people would see the way we live our lives and desire to know Jesus. Hopefully the way that you're living at school, the way that you're living in your workplace, the way that you're living in your family, the way that you're living in this community, in your neighborhood, whatever it might be, that we're living in such a way that if we are to proclaim the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people aren't going to be like confused, be like, oh, I never would have guessed that they were a Christian. Maybe, maybe they're perplexed because they've heard this about Christians, but we live in a very different way. And, and hopefully our life is enough to get people to ask some questions, but it's going to require words. So maybe the way we live our life opens up the door for a conversation. For you to be bold and just 
bring up the gospel in one way or another. Maybe, maybe it comes like an invitation for them to join us here in our church. Let me just acknowledge that maybe you're here today and you're like, you're curious. Somebody's invited you. Maybe you've been here uh, lots of times, maybe only a few times, and you're curious and you know some things about Jesus, right? But you've heard lots of different messages and you're just like, I want to know, I want to know who Jesus really is, like in a real and personal kind of way. I want to know Jesus. That's what really what we're about as a church. We're about knowing Jesus and making him known. And so it would give us no greater joy than to sit somewhere and talk to you about who Jesus is. If you're curious, you're perplexed, you've got some questions, let's talk. Like, let's do it today. Like, I'm going to probably wait here until a couple of my kids come back from the retreat. So I'm going to be here until about 12.15. You want to sit and talk? Let's talk today. You don't have time today? You want to talk some other time? I'll probably, I mean, I get so many calls because my, my, my phone number is on our website. So then I get uh, junk calls constantly uh, from, from all sorts of people. There's my phone number. Like, I'm, I might ignore it initially from you, but leave a voicemail or something. Send me a text. I want to get together and talk to people about Jesus. That's what I love to do. But we want to live in such a way as a church that draws attention to Jesus and confirms the message of the gospel that we seek to proclaim. Not just from the pulpit on Sunday, but a message that we seek to proclaim in youth group and in Sunday school and in Awana, and hopefully you in your homes as well. This is the message that the world desperately needs to hear, and Jesus has sent out disciples like us, calling us to go and make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to live in a way that confirms the message that we're preaching. We need help with that, so let's pray. Father, we're astounded by the fact that you love us and you sent your Son for us. We know what we deserve from you, and instead you've given us not just the wrath that we've deserved, but the the love that we don't deserve. So I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the gospel as good news again. Help us to be so convinced that it's good news that we just want to proclaim it to others, even if we can't do it perfectly. Would you help us to live our lives in a way that draws attention to Jesus, that doesn't like distract from the message we're trying to proclaim, but adorns it, but, but confirms the message that we're preaching. Help us now even to sing the good news with joy. The good news centered around Jesus, who died in our place for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead, who is coming again. Thank you that somebody, and in many cases, many somebodies, have faithfully proclaimed this message. That you've given us ears to hear it, and hearts to believe it. Help us now to be faithful in proclaiming it, even in song together. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand and we'll sing together.